Hi, and welcome to the Crossroads Generation Go podcast. We hope and pray and believe that this message will challenge you, impact you, and encourage you. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can go to www.crossroadslismore.com. I want to tell you a story about a young man who was in the fifth grade. He went to Jonas Salk Elementary School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sounds like a movie already. Should be a movie. By the time you hear this story, you're going to be like, that needs to be put on video. This young man loved track and field. He loved sports. But one day out of the whole year at Jonas Salk Elementary, they had a track and field day where you got to do all the events on the field, shot put, long jump, and the 100-meter dash, and the big event was the 100-meter dash because you wanted to see who was the fastest guy in elementary. So being in the fifth grade, this guy knew that this was to make his mark as a man and to impress his soon-to-be, hopefully, girlfriend named Pamela. So the day came that morning when he got to go up and race down this little sloped gravel hill, and when the gun went off, his feet traveled so fast, and he was going so quickly that the top of his head started to go forward a little bit too far ahead of his body, and he ended up tumbling. Now, because the school was gracious and they go by times and heats, they allowed him to go one more time into the heats. So yeah, he went one more time, went as fast as he could. They didn't announce who the winner was until the end of the day back into the auditorium where everybody sat down and they went through all the first, second, third places. You got ribbons, and then the last event came up when the PE teacher, Mr. Cox, said, and now for the 100-meter dash winners, and he started from third place. And I have to set the scene as well because from the story that the person told me, there was um, Pamela was sitting in the middle. This young man that I'm talking about was sitting to her right, and his arch nemesis in all of the track and field events, Frankie Johnson, was sitting on the left. Everybody knew he was the fastest, but this race would determine who was the fastest kid at Jonas Salk Elementary. So the teacher, Mr. Cox, said third place goes to, no, nobody even knows who that person is now, it's third place. <laughs> Second place came down to the name of Frankie Johnson. And first place went to Chris Van Bibber. And Frankie Johnson looked at me, then he looked at Pamela and he said, what? How? And I didn't even know how, but I got up and I got my first place ribbon and I came down and I showed it next to Pamela. And I got the girl and the first place ribbon. And it lasted all of two weeks, (laughs) as you do in elementary school. Now, I'm waiting for a director to call me and say, we need to ink a deal, because that needs to go to Hollywood very, very soon. Um, But I want to share quickly this morning movements of a race. And there are two things that happen before you say the word go. Those three movements can happen on a daily basis and for the church, and they happen in seasons that will bring an expectancy and a move of God. And I see similarities between the Acts 2 church and also with what the Lord is doing around the world right now, and I believe in the life of this church, amen? So I hope you're excited. I know that some of you probably started checking out when I said the word run, but bear with me, and we're not talking about physical running. I'm not going to get you out there and get out on the street and do a race. But I want to talk about the first movement of the sprint when they say, on your mark. Now, originally, this came up in the 1800s when the English said the words, take your mark. 
That's the words that have originally came up. And so they used that word, take your mark, to instruct all the competitors in a race to prepare themselves and to start to get into that proper position. It's a saying, it's a command, if you will, to get everyone focused on what's about to happen. Now, if you've ever watched the Olympics and they have that 100-meter dash and you see all the guys lining up, they're kind of doing all these funny movements. They're shaking their body and their arms and their legs and they're doing squats and they're jumping up and down. They're doing everything to get ready before they get on their mark. It's the physical components of the race right now. You're getting your body loose. You're connecting your body with the track, and you're saying, okay, get ready, buddy. You're about to go full speed ahead. So the body gets moving. Now, take your mark has significance in the kingdom of God as well. And I want you to turn your Bibles or your phones to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to break this chapter up as we go through these movements of a sprint. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to be reading from the message version. And we're only going to start with verses 1 through 9 to start off with. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Sometime later, the Moabites and the Ammonites, accompanied by the Minyanites, joined forces to make war on Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat received this intelligence report. A huge force is on its way from beyond the Dead Sea to fight you. There's no time to waste. They're already at Hazon, Tamar, the oasis of El-Gedi. Shaken, Jehoshaphat prayed. He went to God for help and ordered a nationwide fast. The country of Judah, united in seeking God's help, they came from all the cities of Judah to pray to God. Now I want you to skip to verse 5 through 9. Then Jehoshaphat took a position before the assembled people of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of God in front of the new courtyard and said, O God, O God, our ancestors, are you not God in heaven above and ruler of all the kingdoms below? You hold all power and might in your fist. No one stands a chance against you. And didn't you make the natives of this land leave us as you brought your people Israel in? turning it over permanently to your people Israel, the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived here and built a holy house of worship to honor you, saying, when the worst happens, whether war or flood or disease or famine, and we take our place before this temple, we know you are personally present in this place and pray out our pain and trouble, and we know that you will listen and give victory. I've got some friends um, that are clients of mine, and they are shot a video recently for their business. And when they shot the video in their place of business, the, the person who came with the camera crew, the director came to tell them how they were going to set up in the office. And what he did is he had them put a little piece of tape around the, uh, the dentist chair that they were going to be shooting from. And he said, you stand here and you stand here. And he told them, this is your mark. It's important to stay on that mark because we want to be able to capture you from the right perspective so that you're in focus, so that the light is shining at the right spot, so that the, the camera's audio can pick up your voice. It was important for them to know to stay on that mark. If you've ever seen The Price is Right, now I grew up watching that because my grandma watched it. 
Uh, my mom watched it, and uh, that was back in the days when Bob Barker was the host. Now, during the, the show, there would be a point where three contestants would come up and spin that big old wheel, and when it wasn't their turn, they had three little spots they had to stay on while it was their turn before they got to spin it. Now, there were some times where it was always person on the end. I don't know what that person, they always picked the, the, the loosey-goose person who was really wild and emotional to stay on the end, but that was the person that always would jump up and down and get really excited and happy before their turn even came, and sometimes they would stray off the mark, and that means they couldn't be in camera view, and Bob Barker, the host, would get on him sometimes, and he'd be like, hey, come, sit, come back there, get, go back on your mark, come back and, and stand right there properly, and it was important for them to be on the prop, proper mark so they could be seen, so they could be a part of the action. Now, when you're on the track, after you've done your little warm-ups and your silly moves to get your body engaged and warmed up, you find your mark. Now, there's a device in track and field called a starter's block, and you've seen it on the Olympics because they're that, that big piece of metal that's stuck into the ground. It's anchored. It's secure. And what those sprinters have to do is put their feet on those pads of the starter block. And they get down on the ground, they put their knees on the ground, and they put their hands sideways at the very end of the starting line to get as close as they can, and all the pressure goes on their fingers. Now, wouldn't it be very embarrassing and unfortunate if one of those sprinters got out of his lane and went into someone else's starter's block and kind of jumped in in front of the other guy. Not only would the other sprinter not appreciate it, that runner would be disqualified because that's not his lane. One of the things that I think we do, unfortunately, as believers, as we, we look at other people and we compare what people are doing, and it's one thing to recognize and to honor and to appreciate. And it's another thing to compare because we want to be like somebody else. We want to do what someone else is doing. But comparison will compromise your confidence that God gives you for yourself, for your lane and your position. Finding your mark because we've all been gifted differently. And I love to see that someone can create a calendar for a church and someone can use their gifts to clean and someone can use their gifts to sing or play guitar, Amos. Awesome today. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has an ability. God's called, us, called you to a particular lane for a particular focus and a particular purpose. And when we start looking over at the other lane and what someone else is doing and wishing that you could do that or have that ability, you start to veer off. In fact, if you've ever driven a car and you start looking at something on the side of the road, I don't know about you, but I have a partner in my car that likes to tell me when I start to veer off, it's probably because I've been looking at that object too long <laughs> and the car starts to go in that direction. And I have a very supportive guide next to me that likes to keep me on track. So now that you're ready, you're taking your mark, you've prepared your body to sit in place on your lane that part's been done. Now the get set part. That part was physical. The next part, get set, this is mental. This is the mental side of a race. This is not, this is not the time in the race when you start to think about how slow you are, how bad your shoes fit, if it could get any hotter. 
man, the guys next to me had a really quick time the last race. I wonder who won the cricket. Those are the thoughts that you, I never have that thought, but any of those other thoughts, that's not the time to be thinking before the gun goes off is to be thinking those other random thoughts. It's not focused. You want to be laser focused on how you can finish and how you finish can be determined by how you start a race. This is the important part of thinking about what you're about to do, connecting the body with the mind and including the Holy Spirit in the process. Now I want to go back to our story. Skip to verses 14 through 17 of 2 Chronicles. Then Jehaziel was moved by the Spirit of God to speak from the midst of the congregation. Now I want to take a note because this is the only time that this guy's name is mentioned. Jehaziel. He's a random character, but we know about him that he was a worship leader, a singer, but he's also someone that spontaneously stepped up. This wasn't the priest. This wasn't the prophet. This wasn't King Jehoshaphat. This was a man named Jehaziel who was, uh, had lineage to Asaph, which was David's worship leader. So he had worship experience, but he also had an unction from the Lord to stand up and say something. He gives us his lineage there, and then it says, Attention, everyone, all of you from out of town, all of you from Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, God's word. Don't be afraid. Don't pay any mind to this vandal horde. This is God's war, not yours. Tomorrow, you'll go after them. See, they're already on their way up the slopes of Ziz. You'll meet them at the end of the ravine near the wilderness of Jeruel. You won't have to lift a hand in this battle. Just stand firm, Judah and Jerusalem, and watch God's saving work for you take shape. Don't be afraid. Don't waver. March out boldly tomorrow. God is with you. That's already been touched on this morning. God fights for us before we even start the race. When you are set in that starter block, you are anchored, you're firmed, and you've been thinking about everything that you have done to get you to that point. All of the training, all of the grueling sessions, the preparation. And I think it's valuable to remember and think about the, the value and the patience of being planted. Where you're at. Where has God put you right now? God doesn't waste that position that you're in, that place that you're at, that dry season that you may think that you're in. He doesn't waste it. Something else about me that you may not have known is that I grew up a NASCAR fan, which is the cars that run around the track. That looks like a boring sport. But when you get into it and you see what takes place before that race happens, you see the one driver going around the track. But in NASCAR, there are literally hundreds, at least 200 people on each team that are a part of preparing that car for every little minute change that will, every race is separate, set up differently. So they go into the preparation of making that car the best that it can be. It's not just about the race on race day. 
And it's not just about the seed that God has planted in your life. It's what happens in the garage. It's what happens in the soil. It's the preparation. It's the cultivation of what God is giving you right now. Preparation. It's the quietness. It's the intimacy and the time that you spend with him. The soil that God has put you in right now, how are you cultivating that? How are you being a good steward with with what God has given you in the season that you're planted? Now, when the preparations have been made and continue to be made, every day we're preparing, every day we're cultivating, then get ready. On your marks, take your marks, get ready, because when you have done the preparations, when you have spent time with the Lord, get ready. It's in those moments of silence and patience that God loves to do his suddenlies. Get ready for miracles. Get ready for healing. Get ready for signs. Get ready for giving testimony. The planet is ripe to hear the good news of Jesus. As mentioned before, and Narelle shared, there was 4,000 people baptized in California, the biggest water baptism ever in the United States. We saw the movement and the revivals that are going on around the world right now. God is moving, and people are open and interested. Get ready for sharing. Get ready for sharing your own testimony and your own story. Get ready to pray for people. Get ready to care for those who are down and out. We're facing tough financial times right now. Get ready to help someone out. Whoever the Lord puts on your heart, help, share, be hospitable. Get ready to serve our city. Get ready to serve one another. Verses 18 and 19 of Second Chronicles. Then Jehoshaphat knelt down, bowing with his face to the ground. All Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping God. The Levites stood to their feet to praise God, the God of Israel. They praised at the top of their lungs. When you're in that get set phase, you're waiting. You're waiting for the gun. You're waiting for the noise to take off. Who in here likes to wait? (laughs) It's a very challenging thing for Western mindsets to wait for anything, let alone a microwave meal. We don't like to wait. The word wait, though, in many instances in the Bible is an active word. Remember the Isaiah 40, uh, chapter 31, wait upon the Lord. But they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will um, mount on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall run and not be faint. So the waiting is not just a sitting on your chair and crossing your thumbs and hoping that something's going to happen. It's an active wait. I think it's also the psalmist uses it as a man who is about to pounce and devour on an attack on something. It's waiting in that kind of crouching moment that God is going to do something. God is going to use you to get set. Get ready with joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that's going to take us into this final phase of the race because you've got to use the strength that is within you to go. And I think joy, as we were listening to Steve Backlund this morning coming up here, he just laughs because he just laughs because it brings the joy. And the boys are like, what is he laughing? He sounds fake. He doesn't even sound like a real laugh. And it's like, I know, he fakes it. And then he just keeps laughing. And then it turns into a real laugh. And then joy is just bubbling in the whole room. I was so annoyed when I met him because I thought that's so, I, I don't appreciate fake laughing. 
And then he got me laughing. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, God's on that because the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord pours out. The joy of the Lord gives us strength when nothing else makes sense. And you look at your pocketbook and you go, I don't even know how this is going to work. The joy of the Lord is going to give us strength to get through it. He's going to give us the right perspective to know that he is God and we are not. His account is bigger than my account and I don't have to worry. I'm speaking to myself. You can receive that if you want. Take your mark, physical, listening to the Holy Spirit, who is also your counselor, and you can call him your coach. Stay in your lane. Get set. That is the mental, focused, planning, and preparing stage to be expectant that God is about to move. And now we've come to the last movement of the sprint, which is go. Now, unlike a real race, when everyone hears the gun, some will hear when God begins to call. Some will hear him moving us outside the walls of this church. Whenever I'm coaching or instructing a class, whenever I tell them go, I make sure that they hear me. I'm not a loud person, but when I say go, it's time to do your exercise. It's time to do your movement. I say it loud so everybody hears me. It's, it's a word that we want to, be, to hear so to know it's time to go. When a sprinter hears that gun, within milliseconds, they are transferring their thoughts from their mind down to their bodies, to their arms and their legs to move as quickly and as efficiently as they can. So now we've gone from the physical to the mental to the spiritual. Now, how many of us like to do the Christian life in our own strength? Well, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of we, we have done the spiritual life on our own strength and it does not work? We fall on our faces. We end up tripping, we end up failing, we end up being exhausted, and it just doesn't work. So why do we keep doing it? What God calls us to, he empowers us through his Holy Spirit, and that is where we receive the power to go. We don't go in our own strength. When he says go, we go in his strength and in his time. Let's, let's finish the story. Verse 20. They were early. They were up early in the morning, ready to march into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they were leaving, Jehoshaphat stood up and said, Listen, Judah and Jerusalem. Listen to what I have to say. Believe firmly in God, your God, and your lives will be firm. Believe in your prophets and you'll come out on top. After talking it over with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed a choir for God, dressed in holy robes. They were to march ahead of the troops, singing, give thanks to God, his love never quits. His love endures forever. As soon as they started shouting and praising, God set the ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir as they were attacking Judah. And they all ended up dead. The, the Ammonites, the Moabites, mistakenly attacked those from Mount Seir and massacred them. Then, further confused, they went at each other and all ended up killed. As Judah came up over the rise, looking into the wilderness for the horde of barbarians, they looked on a killing field of dead bodies. Not a living soul among them, because God fought that battle. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to carry off the plunder, they found more loot than they could carry off 
equipment, clothing, valuables. It took three days to cart it away. On the fourth day, they came together at the Valley of Blessing and blessed God. And that's how it got the name Valley of Blessing. Jehoshaphat then led all the men of Judah and Jerusalem back to Jerusalem, an exuberant parade. God had given them joyful relief from their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and came to the temple of God with all the instruments of the band playing. When the surrounding kingdoms got word that God had fought Israel's enemies, the fear of God descended on them. Jehoshaphat heard no more from them. As long as Jehoshaphat reigned, peace reigned. Another version says, for his God had given him rest on every side. The Israelites started the day early and ready to go. And Jehoshaphat said, hold on, I know you're anxious. Before you go out there, believe, believe firmly that God is with you. Notice he didn't say, okay, all the soldiers, and he had a vast army, get out front, lead the way. Now, who did he have lead the way? Worshippers. Remind you of a story, Joshua? The Lord leads by worship. That's what we're doing here today. That's one of my favorite parts of coming as a body of Christ is worshiping together, releasing the sound of heaven into the streets of this community and around the world. That happens when we worship together. It's a powerful force, as Kathy mentioned today. We continue to worship and praise and give thanks. The Lord fights our battles. And when we realize that and we take up our position and we go when he calls us to, he is fighting for us. He is fighting ahead of us and peace is on every side of us. That's a good race. That's a race I can run. And you don't have to be the fastest person in the room. You run your lane, you run your race, you continue to praise and give thanks and you watch the victories come. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because I want to finish with praise. What better way to go out into the week than to praise and give thanks? And we do that every day. And you can do that as soon as you get up. That's part of on your mark in the morning. That's part of getting set, is having the exuberant expectancy that God is going to use you where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're preaching from the rooftops or if you're serving at a soup kitchen. You're still proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ wherever God puts you. And that's exciting because I can cheer you on because of where God's placed you. And we're all running together. So I want to encourage you today to to be confident in the place that God has placed you. To be mindful that what God calls you to, he will fill you with. So don't look at someone else. Don't even think down upon yourself because God has given you the ability. Okay, he calls, he qualifies the called. He doesn't qualify the the other way around. (laughs) He qualifies the called, and he will give you exactly what you need for the assignment and for that day, the strength provided. So worship team, I don't know what you're going to play, but you're the worship team, and you're going to lead us into a praise because that's what God does. Okay, so let's praise and finish and start the week on a high note. Amen. Amen.